millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, June 28th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi Senate Minority Leader reflects on the bill that retired the Confederate state flag. Then, Mississippi State Baseball punches its ticket to the College World Series final. And a look at birth control in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. One year ago today, the death of George Floyd was raw and inescapable. Cell phone footage of Floyd's final moments blanketed cable news channels. Protests, most peaceful and some violent, flooded city streets across America and throughout the world. Amidst this, in a national haze of tear gas and profound reckoning, the Mississippi legislature voted to retire the Confederate stars and bars from its state flag. Senate Minority Leader Derek Simmons played a key role in spurring that change. Today, he joins MPB's Michael Guidry to reflect on what a new flag meant for him and his state. For a long time, I had sponsored legislation, and many of my colleagues had sponsored legislation to have a symbol in the state of Mississippi that represented unity and not division. And it was important for us, in order to move the beloved Mississippi forward, that we start with symbolism. We understood that there are other underlying conditions uh, that we face in the state that we certainly would have to address. But the very first thing that was front and center for many of my colleagues and myself was the symbol. And so it was a historic time, and we were very, very happy to join the leadership in both the House and the Senate, our colleagues, uh, business and faith-based leaders, university presidents, college coaches, student leaders, and the community as a whole to do the right thing in Mississippi as we stood in solidarity to change the Confederate flag. And now since... The new design was approved by voters last November and ratified by the legislature earlier this year. Mississippi has a new flag uh, emblazoned with a magnolia, the state flower. Since the vote and then into the session where you you guys did make it official, 
What has it been like going into the community, uh, seeing a new flag above the Capitol building, above all the other places that you might visit? What has that been like to experience you know, a, a Mississippi that does not have that emblem flying overhead anymore? For me, it, it represents that we are one Mississippi. We are no longer two Mississippis. And I know a lot of people could differ with that based upon the conditions that some Mississippians live in versus others. But as a symbol or uh, by way of symbolism, to me it represents that Mississippi is one Mississippi and it belongs to all Mississippians despite race, despite party. And the other problems that we know exist in the state of Mississippi, it's easier to work and to march forward trying to resolve or create solutions to those to those problems when we can look up and see one symbol that, that represents all of us. And there was a lot of talk from both parties about how this was something that was that needed to be done, that was something of high value uh, for Republicans and Democrats alike in the legislature. You mentioned that it should be a step forward to addressing other problems. What other problems are, are at the top of your priority list when it comes to taking the momentum from a year ago, uh, a year ago and really driving home at solving problems that help all Mississippians? Uh, Health care is a problem in the state of Mississippi where some people are able to uh, have affordable, reliable health care and others do not. So health care is certainly one of those issues that, w- that we need to address. Education has been front and center for a long time, and we woefully underfund education in the state of Mississippi. And when we do that, it disproportionately affects the delivery of education uh, for black and brown communities more than other communities in the state of Mississippi. Infrastructure. We don't have a long-term comprehensive infrastructure plan for the state of Mississippi. We need to look at the Mississippi of the future and make long-term comprehensive investments regarding infrastructure because the west part of the state or the west part of I-55 looks totally different than the east of I-55 and the north part of the state or even the coast. And so we need to address infrastructure. And and, and certainly, uh, last but not least, criminal justice reform. We have made gains regarding criminal justice reform, but there's still a lot more work to do with Mississippi being uh, the state with the second highest incarceration rate in the country. Last question, uh, Minority Leader. A little over a month ago, uh, our governor was on a panel on Fox News and said there is no systemic racism in the United States or in Mississippi. My question to you is, is there, and how do you use your abilities as a lawmaker and as a leader in the legislative body to address these issues that you've laid out, education, health care, in an environment where there is some belief that there is no such thing as systemic racism and it doesn't affect these issues today? Well, the facts don't lie. The data certainly doesn't lie. And based upon those things I just mentioned as eels in the state of Mississippi support that systemic racism 
what we need leaders in the state of Mississippi to do, whether it's from the governor's office, whether it's in the legislature, whether it's at the local level, we need leaders to be honest. Just like we were honest about the problem that we face regarding the old state flag, we need to be honest going forward about our history and about where we are. We live in a state and we live in a country where black and brown communities are disproportionately affected and treated. And it will not be until we face that reality that we will can move forward and together work to finding solutions to those problems. So yes, it is a tough environment when the governor or any elected leader in the state of Mississippi fails to recognize that systemic racism exists. So we need to just hope and pray that they will have a revelation about the truth about systemic racism and that after they get that revelation and the truth, then we can move forward together like we did last year regarding changing the state flag. We could move forward together in addressing how black and brown people are treated in Mississippi and move forward together where truly all Mississippians will be treated fairly and equally. Minority Leader Derek Simmons reflecting on the one-year passage of the bill that retired the 1894 flag and the issues in front of us. Senator Simmons, thank you so much for your time and your perspective. Thank you for having me. Coming up, the Mississippi State Bulldogs walk off into the College World Series final. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi State's baseball season was on the line Saturday in a matchup against Texas, the second-ranked team in the country. Win, and the Bulldogs would face Vanderbilt in the College World Series final. Lose, and they'd return to Starkville empty-handed. State falls behind 3-1 to one early, but rallies to tie the game in the sixth inning. Then, in the bottom of the ninth, with pitch, pinch runners... Uh, with pinch runner Braylon Skinner on second base, Tanner Leggett climbs into the batter's box. Leggett's a rotational infielder who spent his freshman and sophomore years in junior college. He takes a strike on the outside corner and a ball high. Then this. Outfield has come in. And the 1-1 to Tanner Leggett. That ball is into left field. Here comes Skinner. He's going to score. And Mississippi State walks it off and walks into the College World Series Finals. The Bulldogs will now face Vanderbilt in a three-game series for the national title. In a conversation with MPB's Rob Lane, longtime sports writer Rick Cleveland of Mississippi Today reflects on Saturday's triumph and previews what lies ahead. As all their games have been, it was uh, dripping drama. It went right down to the last pitch and what was really neat about this this one it was the one Saturday night it was two unsung guys two guys who rarely 
rarely get to play who who were the heroes. They're a team of so many stars. They got great pitchers. They got great position players who have become like household names among Mississippi State people. But the the guys who were the heroes Saturday night were uh, were not the guys you would think it would be. No, notably on the other side of the bracket there with Vanderbilt, their path to the final over this past weekend was pretty unusual. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the somewhat controversial fate that befell NC State? It's more than unusual. It's just sad. It's terrible that it happened. North Carolina State was a great story coming into the College World Series. My goodness, they started the season one and eight in their own conference and I think four and nine overall to begin the season. And then it's just been like a Cinderella story, playing really well toward the end of the season and then extremely well in a regional and a super regional. I mean, they had to come through Arkansas, for goodness sakes, who was the number one team in the country, to get to Omaha. Just an unbelievable story. And then, you know, they're 2-0 and and getting ready to play Vanderbilt. They've had one or more players that apparently tested positive for COVID-19 and then through contact tracing, 14 players are taken off the roster for that Vanderbilt game and uh, lose 3-1. to Think they're going to get some players back to play Vanderbilt again on Saturday and instead more contact tracing, more tests and they're declared ineligible. So Vanderbilt advances to the championship series. I don't think anyone, even Vanderbilt, wants wants to have it happen that way, but, but that's the way it is. Now that canceled final game obviously gave the entire Vanderbilt team and especially the pitching staff a pretty valuable day off. Do you think that could play a significant role in terms of availability and performance in this final series? Oh, it definitely gives Vanderbilt a leg up. There's no question about it. They have that lighter available to go in the first game today, and he's likely the number one pick in the draft. He's, as Tanner Allen called him yesterday in the pre-championship series press conference, he's the best arm in the country. Uh, He would have had to have pitched against North Carolina State and most likely wouldn't have been available. You know, meanwhile... State had to burn its ace to get past Texas and to get into the series. So, yeah, Vanderbilt has a distinct pitching advantage going into the championship series. Any final thoughts or predictions on tonight's game or the series in general? Again, Vanderbilt has an edge, and Vanderbilt's an awfully good team without an edge. But there's something about this Mississippi State team They keep having their backs to the wall, and they keep coming back. You know, I'm not going to make a prediction on who's going to win this series, but I think it's going to be great baseball, and I'm I'm surely glad to be here to watch it. should be a terrific series. Rick Cleveland is a sports columnist for Mississippi Today. He's calling in from Omaha. Rick, thanks for talking with us. Mississippi State takes on Vanderbilt tonight at 7.
Coming up, an in-depth look at contraceptive access. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi is a frequent battleground for debates over sexual health care. The state's headed to the Supreme Court after its lone abortion clinic challenged a ban on abortions after 15 weeks. Mississippi also bears one of the highest rates of HIV positivity in the United States and the second highest rate of teen pregnancy, according to the CDC. These issues and a host of others often have a causal relationship with access to and use of condoms, birth control, pills and other contraceptives. So, is birth control availability in crisis in Mississippi? MPB's Desiree Fraser speaks with Rachel Fay, who's VP of Policy and Strategic Partnerships at a sexual health nonprofit called Power to Decide. I think Mississippi is an interesting story. If you look at our contraceptive deserts map, which I'd be happy to provide you to share with listeners, Mississippi has pretty good coverage when it comes to how many counties are women have reasonable access to the full range of contraceptive methods. However, anecdotally, I've heard that sometimes clinic hours and other availability might be more limited, which can make things very difficult, especially when you think about people who are living sort of on the economic edge, that extra trip or those hours that don't line up with when they're not on their shift for work can really make a difference, as can missing uh, hourly wage, lost hours in their job, or securing childcare in order to get there. But that said, I do think that within Mississippi, there is reasonable access. What I think folks struggle with in a state like Mississippi is there's more that the state could be doing, looking at states around them that have thought creatively about ways to increase contraceptive access. And these are policies that are supported in red states and blue states. They are not political. So some examples include extended prescribing for contraception, so requiring that insurance plans provide a year's worth of contraception when someone goes to fill their prescription. That makes it much less likely that they will experience gaps in their contraceptive access that can lead to unplanned pregnancy. Another policy that many states are pursuing is allowing pharmacists to prescribe hormonal methods of contraception, things like the pill and the patch and the ring. They do a sort of basic screening for health conditions and then are able to write the prescription and fill it right there, eliminating need to go for an office visit to a doctor. That's another thing that Mississippi could be thinking about. I do think that the state of Mississippi understands that this is important to them. If you look at documents like Blueprint Mississippi, which is an um, economic blueprint that past administrations in the, in the Mississippi governor's office uh, worked on with, with several stakeholders, including the Chamber of Commerce and others, what we saw was that they identified that ensuring that people are able to avoid unplanned pregnancy during their teenage years and potentially even beyond that into their college or community college years is really critical to bringing business to the state because you can cut taxes all you want, but if you don't have a workforce that's been able to achieve their economic and professional goals, then that's harder to draw business to the state. So this is an issue that I think even in a state like Mississippi, which is, yes, conservative, is well understood. 
And I don't believe, considering, considering the polling that we consistently see nationwide, that birth control is really controversial. I think it is something that there are people who oppose birth control, which is a real minority view, who try to link it with other things like abortion. But birth control is how people plan and face pregnancies and how they have the ability to achieve their goals. And I think that's something that, regardless of where you stand in the political spectrum, I think people understand and can get behind that. So for a state like Mississippi that is conservative, what policy or policies do you feel would be accepted by the state, by lawmakers? I, I certainly think Mississippi should look into extended supply of contraception. To me, that is just such a no-brainer because all you're doing is helping someone not have to make multiple trips to the pharmacy. I mean, a lot of your uh, listeners who have used birth control will probably identify with the frustration of being only able to fill one month or three months at a time. And then what if you have to travel or what if um, you don't have time during that one week when the prescription is up to go get it again? We've seen a lot of research in a lot of different settings that when you extend prescribing to 12 months, you just have fewer interruptions in your birth control. And that's nothing but good common sense policy. I think looking at pharmacy prescribing is another place where, where Mississippi might be able to find some common ground. I mean, other states that have done pharmacy prescribing include states like Tennessee or Arkansas. So it's not something that is so controversial what other states are looking at and saying, no, we can't do this. I think states are creative. And we often say when we're thinking about this at the federal level, that some of the best ideas rise up from what states do to solve problems in their state. And so I think these are things that Mississippi can look at. Any other challenges that I didn't ask you about that are of concern? It has never been surprising to me that regardless of what part of the country I'm in or who I'm talking to, that birth control has broad support. Power to to Decide does polling on this annually, and we look at what people say about birth control, what it makes possible for them. And we look at it by party, we look at it by uh, region of the country, by race, ethnicity. Birth control is broadly popular. People understand what it makes possible for them, for their families, for their friends, and for their community. And I think that efforts to politicize birth control are a real shame that miss what it makes possible. And I think, you know, there, there are, there are certainly have been in Mississippi and other states really good pragmatic policies around trying to improve access to birth control. For example, Mississippi has a Medicaid waiver just for family planning to cover those folks who might not otherwise have Medicaid up to the level that they would qualify for Medicaid if they were to become pregnant. You know, that's a common sense policy. And I think there's lots of them out there that we could be doing at the federal and state level to increase access to birth control. And I think we should do that because nationwide people are with us on that. They they think it's common sense. And and I have to agree. Can you get it through telehealth? You can. In fact, Power to Decide runs a website called bedsider.org. And if you go onto bedsider.org, you can click on a deliver to your door feature where you can look at what services are available in your state 
where you can have birth control delivered to your door. Do you know if it's done those here? Are, those are usually limited to some, I'm sorry, in Mississippi? Yeah. Yes, there is silver to door services in all 50 states. I'm about to pull up and just check on Mississippi, and we'll see what we can do. Yeah, so there are several deliver to your door services that are operating in Mississippi. I can read them out if you'd like, but Hey Doctor, Lemonade Health, Pandia Health, the Pill Club, Pill Pack are all delivering in Mississippi. Okay. Rachel Fay with Power to Decide, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.